is, what is your Samaria? What is your Samaria? What is your Samaria? John chapter 4, we find the story of the Samaritan woman. And I'm going to read from verse 1 through about verse 27 or 28. Maybe even further. Verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, that's interesting because that would be like saying, I'm leaving Tennessee and I'm going to Pennsylvania. And for some reason saying, but I need to go through Virginia. Well, obviously, like you take 81, right? 81 goes up through Virginia. You can't, unless you want to go the long way around, you have to go through Virginia to get to Pennsylvania. Or if I said, I'm in Kingsport and I need to go to Elizabethan. And I said, but I need to go through Johnson City. Like, duh, 26, we get it. Kingsport, Johnson City, Elizabethan. So it's interesting, isn't it? That scripture, because there's nothing in here on accident. It's not just an afterthought. This is thrown in and God's trying to say something to us. So the Bible tells us he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria because Samaria was not basically just a city. It was a nation which is called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noontime. Hot. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And this is a strange situation because nobody would come to draw water at noon. Everybody would come in the morning. Nobody's coming out at the heat, at the hottest moment of the day, in the heat of the day to get water. So you find this woman coming at the hottest point of the day. What's happening here? Jesus says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. Listen to this. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then it gets pretty interesting. Then the woman said to her, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you have answered well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one to whom you now are living with is not your husband. So you've had five husbands, and now you've got a live-in boyfriend. You're going through six men, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. She changed the subject quickly, didn't she? <laughs> Getting in my business, Jesus. Let's talk about worship. (laughs) 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And she's got to be thinking in her mind, wait, he just told me all things. And then Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. I think it's very interesting that she's had five husbands and she's living with the sixth man. And now along comes Jesus, the seventh man. How many of you have been impacted by Jesus? You've gone through a lot of stuff. You were looking for a lot of stuff in a lot of different places. You had some friends in some low places. And then all of a sudden you encounter Jesus, the seventh man, and he changed your life forever. And now you're satisfied. You're not thirsty for... Come on, how many of you has Jesus satisfied and become what you were always looking for? Now that's, that's, that's the easy part of John chapter 4 to preach. If you can't preach the first part of John chapter 4, those first 26 verses, you do not belong on a stage with a mic in your hand. So I'm not going to go there because you've probably heard everything you can hear from there. And maybe someday I'll go there again and we'll talk about it again. But I want to get into verse 27 because my question to you today is what is your Samaria? So verse 27. And at that point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said what they were thinking because they're cowards. They were, they were thinking this. What are you, what are you seeking out, out of this conversation, Jesus? Why are you talking with her? Then Jesus, because he's pretty smart, he knew what they were thinking. So the woman leaves. She leaves her water pot. She goes into the city. She tells everybody about Jesus. But in the meantime, his disciples are urging him, saying, Rabbi, you got to eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus says, you're missing it. You're missing the whole point of all of this. This is about... This isn't, about, this isn't about me being hungry. This is about a well. This is about a woman. This is about you. Think about this. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? This is Jesus' point. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. isn't about her yeah i ministered to her her life has changed the whole city's getting ready to come out asked me to stay for a couple days and samaria's going to get turned upside down but it's really not about that i did this because i need to get something in you i need to point out something that you're avoiding i brought you to samaria to show you something about you not something about samaria to show you something about you the thing you've been overlooking is the thing that I want to deal with. So today, what is your Samaria? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Give you glory and honor for everything you will do and what you will say. We know that you're here to meet us, to meet our needs, to speak to us, to change us, to make us more like you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. John chapter 4, it's such a beautiful story. It's a beautiful picture of God's love for the most lost and the most broken of humanity. It's beautiful. 
But the whole point of the story can be missed if we focus in on the woman at the well and her interaction with Jesus. It's an incredible point. It's a, it's a climactic moment, and we see Jesus at his best ministering and revealing himself and her eyes opening and being aware of who he is and telling the whole city and them coming out. But if we overlook this moment, if we go through this moment and just think it's about her and Jesus and the well and Samaria, then we'll miss what Jesus is actually trying to do in us today. What Jesus is trying to do for us and in us and in his disciples as we are becoming more like him. Remember, we are in a series called Just Like Jesus, where 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 says, If anyone says they are in Christ, they should live as Christ lived. Romans chapter 8 tells us that he has predestined for us. He has predetermined that the purpose of the believer, one who puts their faith in him, would be conformed into the image of his son. That's what he wants from us. And so as we're being molded and shaped and made into the image of Jesus, we have to look at the way Jesus lived. If we're going to live like Jesus, we're going to have to look at the way Jesus lived. And we see here in this story one of the first opportunities Jesus has to go on a trip with his disciples. And when he goes on that trip, he says, I've got to get from here to here, from Judea to Galilee, and I've got to go through Samaria. I've got to go through Samaria. Now, if you understand Samaria, you know that Samaria is not a place where good Jews would go. And it's not a people that Jewish people would marry, do business with, eat with, hang out with, talk to. They would avoid at all costs. Matter of fact, the reason this is such an interesting drop in Scripture where Jesus says, I must go through Samaria is because most Jewish people would take the long way around. Samaria was the shortest way, but they would take the long way around to avoid anybody that wasn't like them. And they were supposed to be representatives of God, but they avoided an entire nation, a group of people. And so what God does through Jesus, His Son, He does this. He... He, in his first journey with his disciples, he takes them to a place they would never go on their own. Because in order for him to get in them what he needs to get in them so that he can get through them what he needs to get through them, he has to take them to Samaria. Why did he have to take them to Samaria? He had to take them to Samaria because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, that the gospel would be preached in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Samaria. Why would Acts, and why would the apostles include Samaria in their journey? Samaria is included in their journey because Jesus took something out of the disciples in Samaria. Jesus took those Young boys through Samaria because those young boys were racist and bigots and sexist. They were Jewish people who didn't want anything to do with another group of people because of the color of their skin and their background, where they came from, and the God they worship. They didn't want anything to do with them. So they would avoid them at all costs. And Jesus, knowing... If the gospel is going to get to the end of the earth, it's going to have to go through Samaria. And if it's going to go through Samaria, then I'm going to have to change the heart of these racist boys. 
And so the place they would avoid at all cost is the first place Jesus takes them so that the gospel can have the effect in the earth that Jesus would want it to have. So you and I are here as a result of Jesus breaking down the walls of racism and sexism. We are here today because Jesus breaks those barriers. Now listen to what, listen, listen, and this applies to you. You say, well, I'm not a racist and I'm not a sexist. And I know you probably believe that. Remember Pastor Fred Hudgens talking to me. He's a black man in our church, leader here, pastor in our church. And he said, I, I, told, I told people my whole life, I'm not racist. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not any of that. Until two white boys showed up on my door to ask my daughters out. <laughs> he said, I thought I believed that about myself until those white boys showed up on my door. Wanted to take my daughters out. <laughs> so I know you believe that. And those Jewish boys probably believe we're good guys. But Jesus had to take them to the place they wanted to avoid so that he could change them so that they could be what he wanted them to be so they could be more like Christ. And Jesus isn't a racist. Jesus isn't a sexist. Let me give you just a little bit of scripture to back that up. Galatians chapter three, verse 26 through 28. Paul says, therefore, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Neither there's there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. A religion that seeks to put people in categories based on their race and their sex. It's not a Christ like religion at all, because Jesus came to break that down. Let me give you another scripture. Mark, chapter two, verses 16 through 17. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus hasn't come to call just white people or black people or men or women or the old or the young or the wealthy or the poor. Jesus has come for sick people. If there's anybody in this room today who would say, I was sick and Jesus healed me, you go ahead and make some noise this morning. Hallelujah. So he does this because you cannot truly follow Jesus and hold on to something that's unlike Jesus. You cannot do it. To be more like Jesus, you have to deal with the thing you've been avoiding. This is not going to be fun today. What is your Samaria? What is your Samaria? What are you avoiding? What is that issue of the heart that you're not dealing with today? What is that thing that is so dark in you that you don't tell anyone about? It's so hidden in you and in your psyche and in your heart and in your mind. that You don't talk about it. What is that place in you that's so dark that you wondered, can Jesus even love that part of me? Can Jesus even... Be around that part of me. Could Jesus even deal with that part of me? Could Jesus even touch that part of me? What is that part of me that I've avoided my whole life and I've made excuses for it? Because of my religion or my faith or my background or what I went through, who my parents were, who my parents weren't. What I experienced or somebody hurt me or somebody abused me. So I'm like this because of something somebody else did to me. So now I'm the result of what people have done to me. 
And so I just continue to make excuses for my attitudes and my bad behavior and all of this stuff because here I am. There's just some stuff in my life I can't do anything with. Just some attitudes I have I can't change. Just some mindsets I have I can't do anything about. I was born this way. My parents brought me up this way. My dad was this way. My mom was this way. It's always been this way in my family. Nothing will ever change. God wants to deal with those parts, those parts that you avoid, those parts you won't let anybody in, those pieces of you that you haven't even told your wife or your best friend, those pieces of you that even when you're drunk, you won't tell anybody. You won't even let them in there. When you're inebriated. Those parts. What are we avoiding? That will keep us from living. The life that Christ has desired for us to live. People think. Well. Well. I I get right. I just get saved right. And then God fixes everything right. Did anybody give their life to Jesus, start coming to church, and stuff got crazier in your life? You can raise your hand. Anybody? So don't tell me just because you get saved and you make your life to Jesus, everything's going to be good. That's what the children of Israel thought. We got delivered out of Egypt. We got delivered out of our bondage. And now we're out here in this new place and... They're wandering for 40 years and poor old Moses, the guy that brought them out, doesn't even get to take them in. Why did Moses not get to go in? Moses didn't get to go in because Moses had an issue in his life he avoided and he wouldn't deal with. And it expressed itself in anger in front of God's people. And he missed out on the promised land. Was he saved? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're going to see Moses in heaven. I'm pretty confident of that. You might not see me there, but you will see Moses there. Moses is going to be there. Moses, do you you remember if you look at the New Testament when Jesus was transfigured? God must have not been so mad at Moses that he disinvited him from the transfiguration. He died in the wilderness, but all of a sudden he's there on the mountain with Jesus being transfigured. So God wasn't finished with Moses just because Moses was dead. No. So I'm telling you this morning, isn't going to keep you out of heaven. It's going to keep you out of having a heaven to go to heaven in. It's going to keep you out of heaven on earth. It's going to keep you from fulfilling and living out the kingdom of God in the earth. You've got to deal with the... Avoided issue. How do we do it? How do we do it? Mark chapter 4 is one of the most interesting portions of Scripture in the whole Bible because I've, I've looked at it my whole life and I've seen there the stories of the seed and the sower and the different grounds that the seed falls on. And I've preached that my whole life. I saw something this week that I have to share with you. Because I, I feel like this issue, last week I preached a message to you, I talked about how important the Word of God is and how we see the Word of God. We have to see it the way He sees it so it can do in us what it needs to do in us. But the problem with seeing it the right way but not receiving it the right way 
is that you can see something the right way and not receive it the right way. And so I don't want you to just see the word the way you need to see the word is God's infallible word and it's perfect and it's him. It's not just some book. It's unlike any other book. It's alive. It's active. It's powerful. You can't just see it that way, but you have to be able to receive it. And as I see this story, I see that the reception of his word has everything to do with the ground, our hearts. But I see something even more important in Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus has told this story to a group of people. The disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, what were you even talking about? Like, what's the point? And in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus says something that has literally begun to shift the way I think about my life and my issues and the things that I want to avoid and the things I don't want to talk to anybody about and the things that I don't want to deal with. And how that everything in my life hinges upon me understanding how important it is for me to get a hold of the things that nobody else sees. Mark 4, 13, Jesus says to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Do you see that? Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? Jesus is saying, if you don't get this, you won't get any of it. And the reason most people live such a frustrated Christian life, and they're like, where's all the stuff that God promised? Where's the abundant life? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's all this stuff that God talks about? And I see some people enjoying, where is that? It's missing you and escaping you and me very often because we haven't understood the first thing. We can't understand everything afterwards. The first thing is this. A sower sows some seed. Some of it fell on the footpath. And when it fell on the footpath, it didn't take root. It didn't get into the ground. So the enemy comes along and he picks up the seed. And he steals it. The second thing Jesus says is that some of this seed was cast and it fell on stony ground. And the person who heard it received it gladly. They were excited to hear it. But as soon as they left church or wherever they heard that word, they got into life and affliction and persecution came. And because the word never took root, the sun came and burned it and scorched it and killed it. And then the third place you see, Jesus says, is the thorny ground. He says, this ground chokes the life out of the seed because they care about this world and they care about the lust of their flesh and the desires of their heart more than they do the kingdom of God, more than they do Jesus himself. And God began to point out to me that, Robbie, you're not just one of these pieces of ground. You're all three. Sometimes you're all three at the same time. And what I've got to do before you ever understand anything else I'm trying to tell you, it all hinges on this. If you don't get this, you won't get any of it. If you don't get the fact that I can sow the word, but if your heart isn't receptive to receive the word, then there's nothing that you will be able to do with the word. It has to get in to your life. Plants go deep, gain roots, go through a process, and the fruit comes after all of it. 
So I said, God, what do I do? He said, you've got to, like Hosea said, you've got to begin to break up the ground. You've got to begin to break up the ground of your heart. You have to begin to let God into those places that you refuse to let anybody into. You have to let God love you in the darkest part of you. And I said, well, God, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? There's nothing dark in me. I'm a pastor. I go to church every week. I could have killed that guy last week. I didn't even say anything. He said, that's your problem. You wanted to kill that guy last week. I said, but I thought if I didn't do it, it was good. And he said, no, you have to deal with the fact that you wanted to. Last night, I'm driving to a movie to just hang out with my brother and my dad. This guy comes up behind the guy behind me and he's all on him and I can see it from behind me. And the next thing you know, he pulls out and he tries to, he goes by him and then he gets behind me and then I know he's going to do the same thing to me. So what do I do? I slam on my gas and I get up to beside this big 18 wheeler and I just sit there. (laughs) Some of that. How you like me now? (laughs) So I thought, okay, he's probably had enough. He's giving me the bright lights and honking the horn. I said, okay, he's probably had enough. I back up just a little bit. I slow down just a little bit. And he comes up and he literally gets on the side of me and is trying to push me off the road. It's like a movie. Like I'm Jason Bourne in this movie trying to get, I'm getting pushed around. I'm like, I saw Jason Bourne. I will take you. I, I know how to drive. So he pushes me off of the road. I pushed back. Oh, yes, I did. I'm no punk. I pushed back. He pushes back again. I press on my brakes. and I'm like, I'm going to let him get in front of me, and then I'm going to give him the treatment. So he gets in front of me, and I turn my brights on, and I'm laying on my horn. Literally, my face is connected to my horn. I'm just like, and I'm thinking, is my gun in my car? Like, my gun in my car. I'm thinking this through to like, he's going to stop. He's going to want some. I'm going to pull the gun out. I'm going to point it at him and he's going to be afraid. And then my thought is like, what if he has a gun? I haven't used mine in a long time. He's probably more accurate than me. I'm just going to not die tonight. So I just like slowly backed off. Ever since I was little, ever since I was little, I've had this issue that I did not want to address. I've had an anger issue ever since I was little. I'm, listen, I'm the youth pastor here at the church, and we had, bas- we had like church league basketball. I was getting kicked out of church league basketball games. <laughs> How I wasn't fired, I have no idea. Just always been angry. Just angry. And then little things, would, little things in life happen would add to it. So my life, I've done like many of you have done. I've made excuses for my anger because of what's happened to me. I'd say, well, you know, I'm, I got every right to be angry. You know, when I, was, when I was younger and my parents first started the church, went through a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, we just came to this city just to help people. My dad was 
two years booked in advance on the road. Life was pretty good. We were doing okay. And then to come here, to cut all of that off, try to start a church, and then people questioning your motives? Like, you're in it for the money. What? There is no money. What are you talking about? I was just a young kid. I think I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Somebody started a rumor from the church that I had AIDS and my parents were hiding it. I've watched people talk about my parents. I've watched, I've watched people say that stuff about my mom. I've watched people say stuff about my dad. I, somebody just told me recently, they said, hey, there's somebody that goes to church here that thinks you're going to have a big fall. You're like the next Jimmy Swaggered. That's encouraging. I thought I was the next T.D. Jakes, but whatever. <laughs> that hurts. It's painful. Nobody wants to hear, hey, you're the next Jim Baker. Like the early part, like before all, like the amusement park part or like the... <laughs> we hear stuff like the only way you'll be, ever do, be able to ever do anything in that church is if your last name's Hilton like we're supposed to apologize because our last name's Hilton I felt I, when I first started preaching I was told that the only reason I got that opportunity there were some other people here on staff at the time and a couple of them told me the only reason you're getting that opportunity is because your daddy is I've been told since I've been the pastor of this church, the only reason you're the pastor of this church is because of who your dad is. I've had some crazy stuff said about me. I've watched people that I trusted and loved, invested in, loved, just given to, just turn. Say horrible things. Question your motives like, I tried to, listen, I tried to do anything else other than this with my life. I tried so hard. I'm here because God wouldn't allow me to do anything else. So I'm not here because I sought this out. Listen, I've heard, I've, we've, we've, had, we've had people say about my brother, he's just in it because he, he's, he's in it for the fame. Listen, my dad and I were with my brother years ago in Nashville when a major recording company slid a six-figure check across the table at him and said, hey, we want to sign you. We want to give you this money. You're going to be a big deal. It's just a couple things. We want you to change your hair. We want you to drop the Hilton from your name. It's just a strange last name, Ricky Hilton. It's not like as cool as Ricky Martin. That didn't work out either. But... Nobody even knows who he's anymore. It's like, where's Reuben Stuttered? Nobody knows. So, so it's like, drop, <laughs> drop, your, drop your last name. Change all this stuff. Oh, by the way, we want you to sing this kind of music. But hey, you'll be, you'll be famous. You'll have money. It's from Christian people. And I watched my teenage brother. Wasn't even married or super mature yet. He's a teenager. 
slide that check back across the table and said, I'm perfectly content to lead worship in my church if I get to be who God's called me to be. I've watched that. So I could get up here and say, oh, it was a tough life. I was a pastor's kid. I lived in a glass house. People called me names. People said stuff. (laughs) Boo, boo, boo. But if I do that, then I don't deal with my Samaria. If they didn't deal with the racism and the sexism that was in their life, remember they came back to Jesus. What are you doing talking to a woman at a well? She looks kind of funny. You're acting kind of funny. If they didn't deal with that and Jesus didn't take them through Samaria, the gospel doesn't get to Samaria. And if the gospel doesn't get to Samaria, it doesn't get to the ends of the earth. So, yeah, I I deal to this day. It affects me in my home and in my marriage. People are like, but you seem so happy up there on the stage. Like, I don't think there'd be many people here if I had a meltdown every week. Do you like? (laughs) I don't think anybody would be in the parking lot putting up with that craziness. If I'm up here like, I hate you. (laughs) I don't think anybody would show up for that. But man, does it impact my wife? Does it hurt my kids sometimes? And I have to constantly evaluate it. Why would you? Why would you think that? Why would you? Why would you say that? Why? Why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing it because I was hurt. I have the right to be hurt. Yeah, I was hurt. You were hurt. We've all been hurt. And we have to deal with the unresolved issues that are in our life. Jesus said they look a lot like this. They look a lot like a walking path. So I try to throw seed. I try to throw the word on there. I try to throw it out. But it doesn't even get in the ground because it's so hard. So the enemy comes and steals it. And the reason it's so hard is because it's been trampled on. It's just been beaten down. And so many of you in this room, you've just been beaten down and you're just tired of being beaten down. You're just tired of being trampled on. And so what do you do? You get hard. I'm not going to let anybody talk to me like that again. I'm not ever going to give my heart to anybody like that again. I'm never going to be in a situation. I'm ne- nobody's ever going to take advantage of me like that again. I'm not going to serve in church again. Why would I do that? I got hurt in the last church. That pastor was crazy. This one seems crazy, so... I might as well just do a little preemptive treatment. Just not go all in. So we just, we block ourselves out. And God's throwing word at that part of our heart and we won't let him in. And then there's other places. The Sony ground. 
where it's like, oh yeah, I needed that word. Have you ever been in church and you're like, yes, that was for me. I needed that. And you're excited and your world's been expanded and your thinking's been enlarged and you go out into, you know, the parking lot and you're talking to people and you're like, man, that word, that thing that changed my life. I experienced God today and I'm never going to be the same. And then the next thing you know, it's Monday morning. And the Bible says he, he calls it affliction and persecution. Do you know what affliction means? Affliction means narrowness of space. Have you ever felt like at church, you're so large and your faith is so big and you get to Monday and it's like, life just gets narrow. It's the nine to five. It's the same people, man. I'm just believing God. He's going to change my workspace. And then you go in the next morning and they're the same crazy people you were dealing with on Friday. You changed, but they didn't change. And you thought because you changed, you were going to walk in and everything was just going to be. Like, I'm on fire for Jesus, and you walk in, and all of a sudden, the walls start closing in on you. And what happens? Maybe next time. Maybe I'll try again next week. So nothing ever takes root. And if nothing ever takes root, you never see fruit. Right? So the hard ground, that has to deal with the parts in your life you refuse to address and change. The stony ground has to deal with the parts of your life that you refuse to submit to the process of pain. The Bible says about Jesus in Hebrews, it says that even though he was the son of God, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. You could be the son of God and obedience isn't in your natural behavior. Think about that. That to me is a mind blowing statement that even though he was the son of God, he wasn't hardwired, pre-wired to obey. We have no excuse. Well, the reason Jesus was able to do what Jesus was able to do is because Jesus was God. I mean, and he, he, he just, he's God. No, Jesus even learned to obey through the things he suffered. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Your life is not the result of the ease that you've experienced. It's not the result of the times when it's been on cruise control and you just coasted through life. No, your life is the result of the hell that you have survived and the torment that you have made through and those weeks when you wanted to kill yourself and end it all, you made it through, but you're still here anyway. Your life is the result of those weeks. Paul even told us in Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, it got so hard that I didn't even want to live anymore. He was, he was under so much stress that he just said, I, I despaired of life itself. I didn't even want to be here anymore. You're not weird because you feel the pressure. You're not strange because you feel the pain. You're not strange because it hurts when people say stupid stuff about you. You're a human being. 
It's okay, Calvary, to not be okay. If you do anything, would you please come in here next Sunday and take that stinking, stupid mask off that keeps us from seeing who you really are? You don't have to answer. When somebody says, how are you doing? If you're not, if you're not feeling blessed and highly favored, brother, don't say blessed and highly favored and don't fake that stupid smile that we can all see your grin your teeth. I'm happy. Jesus loves me. <laughs> good, brother. It's all good. Sometimes it's just not all good. You're like, well, that was Paul. We're talking about Jesus. Well, let's talk about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist has been killed. And Jesus knows he could have done something about it. But the plan of God was that John the Baptist would be beheaded. And Jesus had to allow that to happen. And they bring news to Jesus. And even though Jesus knew it was going to happen, the Bible says that he withdrew to an isolated place because he wanted to be alone. Jesus himself experienced that pain and that sorrow and that loneliness and that hurt that you and I feel. And Jesus has come today to take us through our Samaria. Not to leave us in Samaria, but to take us through our Samaria. He has come today to heal that part of you that you don't think anybody can love and you don't think anybody can appreciate and you don't think anybody can care for. Nobody can but Jesus. Nobody can but Jesus. Only He can. Stand with me if you would. So do you have a footpath in your heart? Yeah, I do. Is there some stony ground? Absolutely. Is there a thorny place? The thorny place is a unique spot to be in because we need money, we need things. We need a house. We need a car to get to work. We need these things. But what happens in our lives, and all of us in this room are not exempt from this, all of us have a place in our heart, and all of us have something in our heart that we value more than Jesus. So he said, the thorns literally choke the life out of life, out of living. He said, so they had the things of the world. Their mind was on the things of this world. Their mind was on the lust of their flesh. Their mind was on what they could get and what they could gain. They had all of that, but they were still choked. They were still choked. still couldn't breathe they had money but they couldn't breathe they had health but they couldn't breathe they had a great job but they couldn't breathe no sickness but they still couldn't breathe has everything ever been okay but nothing is okay that's the thorny place so this is a simple thought this morning all I'm asking is that This morning, you would allow the Holy Spirit, not condemnation, because that won't fix a thing. That you would allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and point out to you. You probably already know it. He knows that there's nothing you can hide from God. 
let the Holy Spirit put His finger on that unresolved Samaria. Those disciples had no idea what Jesus was doing. Why are we going to Samaria? I mean, if He's a real rabbi, he, every rabbi goes the long way. Why? Jesus says, I said, Jesus, you got to be hungry. He said, no, I, I've got food that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of my Father. He says, guys, look around you. The harvest, it's white. Look up. The fields are white in the harvest. I know before you would never have looked at this field. You would have never considered the field of Samaria. You would have never considered this people, but look up, it's white under harvest. And they would continue, Jesus would continually break down those barriers of racism and elitism and sexism that they would have to deal with. The way they saw women, the way they saw people of a different color, the way they saw people from different nations, the way they saw people from different faiths. He would constantly have to break those things down. Constantly. Because when we get to heaven... It's going to be every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. It's going to be that way. It's going to be that way. So, would you bow your head with me? If you're in this place today, and I want, I want you to take this moment seriously, this, you might not get this moment again. We have no idea what's going to happen. I want you to take this moment seriously because if God is dealing with you about your Samaria today, I don't know what it is, but if you feel like the Lord is dealing with you about a Samaria in your life, a place that He needs to take you through so you can see what's really in you, so He can remove it, so that He can get something in you that He needs to get through you. If God's dealing with your heart today, I want to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone to leave the seat that you're in and just come to this altar. You can stand, you can kneel, and I want us to come today and I want us to ask God to help us begin to break up that ground. Let's give God access to those places in our life where we haven't given Him access before. Let's let Him come in and love us in those places that we feel unlovable. Touch us in those places that we feel, no, no, don't don't come near that. You won't love me. You won't like me. You won't want me. You won't... You won't see me the same. Let him come in. Let him come in. Don't wait for your neighbor. Don't wait for there to be a better moment. Don't do this sitting in your seat. Come to this altar today and let God do something transformational in your life. This isn't an informational moment. This is a transformational moment. We need transformation. Romans 12 tells us, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be ye transformed. By the renewal of your mind. You've got that renewal. You've got to let God dig up the ground in your heart and in your mind today. Go ahead. Let him break it up today. That chip on your shoulder. That unforgiveness. That feeling you have. I'm, I'm just this way because my daddy left me. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to have that chip on your shoulder. I'm just this way because I was abused. You don't have to be that way. 
This is not about what's happened to you. And what happened to you is real. It's authentic. It happened and it hurt you. But Jesus is here to heal you. He is here if you'll, let, if you'll allow and you'll let the word of God come into your life and get into the ground of your heart. He can heal you. Come on, church. Let's just begin for a moment. If you're still in your seat, would you just throw your hand forward and begin to pray for those folks up here? Jesus. Jesus. Overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love. Your love. 